you don't bring it, he'll show you that it wasn't brought. This is Tall Can Audio. <laughs> It is the first full week of June, which means it is also week one in the CFL. I know you're as excited about it as I am. It is also Pride Month. We say welcome everyone inside the TCA studio here in beautiful Bytown, Canada. My name is Matt Robinson. Thank you so much for checking out today's show. It's going to be a great one. Make sure you're following along on social media at Tall Can Audio. We love hearing from you guys over there. Whether you be on Twitter or Instagram, go ahead and, uh, and give us a follow there. Let us know what you think. And uh, make sure you are subscribed to the pod wherever you're hearing us right now. We will have tons more CFL content throughout the season, whether you're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Pods, wherever you are, go ahead and uh, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast. Uh, first time guest here, guy, we've, we've been trying to get in here a little time uh, for a while now, and, and we've kept pecking away at Hoffley until he, he made it happen. Uh, General Manager of the Ottawa Red Black, Sean Burke is here. How's it going today, man? It's going great. I think Chris has to do a better job of asking because I would have come in long ago. So I absolutely pin this on him. There's no doubt about that. Uh, you know, we, we stay on him. He's been in here to co-host a couple times himself and, and interview, and he has no trouble rummaging through my fridge. But, well, that's, uh, uh, I think he just likes the beers. Uh, I think that's uh, it. That's what it is. He's being selfish. So A little bit. So he rummages through the fridge, and I send him home with, you know, could you ask this guy? Could you ask that guy? And yeah. Got to get him back here for another beer to remind him is usually how that plays out. I think he's doing it. Uh, I think he's doing it intentionally. I appreciate you coming in, man. It's great to be in here. Um, we, uh, you know where we start. We've, uh, that you came in the door. First place I sent you was to the, uh, the fridge there. What did you select to have on the show today? I have a Lake of Bay's Tropical Fruit Pale Ale. Nice summer drink. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Okay. We're into June here. So that's sort of, uh. That's a nice choice. I know I asked you off the air, but I'll ask for the the sake of the listener. Are you normally a craft beer guy? Is that your scene, or are you into other things? I, I'm in the, for beer. If it's free, it's me. So uh, <laughs> we, we have some great sponsors and, and, and whatnot, and uh, maybe after uh, mowing the lawn at the house, I'll sure. have a cold beer, but uh, uh, it's certainly usually what's bought for me or comes by my desk. Okay, <laughs> I like that, yeah. Um, there was, I can't even remember, maybe it was Kitchissippi. You might remember better than me. I'm sure you focus on other things. It was a Red Blacks-themed beer there last year that one of the local breweries had uh, had fired up. I can't remember if it was Kitchissippi or somebody else. I now, can't but, remember. Uh, I yeah. think I did get bought one at one of the quarterback no doubt. clubs. Yeah, so. yeah. Uh, I've gone with something from uh, from Kitchissippi. This is called, I don't know what this is, Wooshak, Wooshak, W-U-C-H-A-K. Uh, the Wooshak Black is what I'm going to call it. Uh, it's a Cascadian dark ale from Kitchissippi, about 6%. Uh, it's an essentially a, a dark IPA, a black IPA. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll roll with that. We'll see how it goes. I, I normally like darker beers more than I like IPAs, so I'll be fascinated here to see how they've done to, to mold them together. You're going to have to get Jeremy Snyder here, our assistant GM. He has a strong craft and IPA game much uh, greater than mine. Okay, so... Should I count on you to make that happen? Or I, I, I'm not going back to Hoffley. To, I will make that happen. <laughs> Jeremy's got a, a short time. He's re- relocating, still working with us, but relocating. Uh, so we'll make sure it happens beforehand, yes. Okay, perfect. Uh, before we get into this season and training camp and how things have played out, I like to talk to our guests about their background and, and where things have come. And you, maybe, maybe more than most, I, I did some reading on you and preparing for the show here. I'm an Oshawa kid, and I believe... You're a Durham College guy. I am. I, uh, I'm a proud grad of Durham College Sports and Men program. Yeah. Uh, try to help them out 
uh, when I can of speaking uh, and being a proud alumni. Uh, I owe them a lot for getting into the sports industry. Uh, great program there, one of the leaders in Canada, yeah. one of the first ones in Canada, and uh, some great professors back in my day there that supported uh, things and uh, a, a great internship program. So, uh, you know, that's how I sort of got into sports uh, sector is through the internship program. Right. Uh, Working with MLSE, uh, Raptors Foundation specifically. Nice. Um, have a very passionate background and still a passion for community involvement. The foundation, uh, we raise a lot of money. I help run the events uh, there. And then uh, moved over to the hockey side. You know, as a hockey guy growing up, sure. you would have thought the Maple Leafs was a sort of dream job and uh, and uh, works with some great people there. Uh um, and, and started the first ever Toronto Maple Leaf minor hockey school, and we did about seven or eight other programs uh, through the Leafs and got to spend a lot of time uh, with quality individuals. You know, one guy I'll talk about, one of the greatest pros I've ever been around, Matt Sundin. Uh, hey, all right. Just the epitome of... You can look around this room and see yeah, that. Yeah, the, I, I'm, a, I'm a Leaf guy. Yeah, I have time for Matt yeah, Sundin yeah, for sure. Yeah, the epitome right? so. of class and captain for a young guy in the business you know, having to deal with someone of his stature, he, he just was amazing. And, uh, uh, you know, then the CFL came calling. And, I, I, you know, I had just settled in Toronto, had bought a condo down there within six months, got out of the renting game and uh, never thought I was looking to leave. And it was just an opportunity with the Ticats to run my own department in community relations. And, uh, you know, there's obviously a lot more employees and rungs up the ladder at a bigger company like MLSC. Mm -hmm. So... I decided to to take the take the chance. Uh, I'll say this: uh, when I first got there, I'm like, I don't know if I'm gonna last more than six months in this league. <laughs> really? <laughs> you know, we'll see. It was just drastically different mm -hmm. um, in terms of involvement. You know, I was very used to structured involvement. I'll give you an example: as as a guy that worked in community relations, I never went to the games. Like I, I never worked game nights right. or or anything like that, unless you had a function there where. My first Ticat game, they're like, yeah, call times at 6 in the morning to put up the signage and uh, <laughs> and do this. And I'm like, oh, this is kind of new. So uh, <laughs> I'm like, what have I got myself into? But, you know, just fell in love with the CFL Were community. you a CFL guy growing up? Because one of the things we hear about the league a lot is that over the years it's had a hard time grabbing young people, right? It, it, the, it, the, the fan base has been aging. Uh, growing up, were you a CFL fan? I, I was just a sports fanatic, so okay. I definitely followed the CFL. Football wasn't my number one following mm -hmm. when I was a kid. Obviously, it is now. Sure. But uh, <laughs> when I was a kid, it wasn't. But, you know, I, I would watch games when they were on TV, CBC back then. Uh, you know, Grey Cups were always a, a big deal no matter what, I think, anywhere, especially if you're a sports fan. So, you know, I knew the league and I knew the quality people in the league. Mm -hmm. uh, quality players, you know. I remember watching pinball growing up, pinball. just five foot five yeah. on the field making plays, and then suddenly now I'm in GM meetings with them. So right. you got to sort of slap yourself sometimes <laughs> and, and and whatnot. But uh, definitely just a sports fan, uh, which included the CFL. Yeah, it's it's an interesting thing. I, I guess before we get into kind of your your evolution through the Hamilton Tiger Cats, um, you know, as a guy who kind of grew up around the GTA sporting scene, I'm wondering if we kind of you know, you look at your experience around the Toronto sports scene and, and your knowledge of the CFL now. I grew up in the GTA. I'm an Oshawa guy, as I mentioned, and, and before I moved up here, I was an Argos fan. And I always thought when they got out of the Dome, if they could just get somewhere else, 
it would be better, right? And even if even on good nights in the in the dome, if you draw twenty thousand to a fifty thousand seat building, it kind of sucks, right? It's this big cavernous thing, even though it's a decent enough crowd. And they did pretty well in in Eastern Finals and Grey Cups. Obviously, they draw big crowds as every market does. And I really thought when they got to BMO, I, this is going to be great. It's going to be so much better. And it still struggled to catch on. Did Were you as optimistic as I was that it would work? You, are you surprised that it hasn't? Is there other issues in that? I'm sure you're not going to comment too strongly on what Toronto might be doing right or wrong, but just sort of in a general sense, did you think BMO would be, you know, a, a bigger success than it has been? I think they're getting there. It's a work in progress. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think you've seen some changes the last couple of years. I have a great deal of respect for uh, – Chris Schufelt's a guy that basically is a second in command below uh, Bill Manning mm-hmm. with the Argos, and I, I grew up in MLSC with him and, uh, and, and whatnot, and obviously talked about pinball already. Sure. Um, you know, it's, there's just so much attractions in Toronto yes. that you're competing for attention of everyone, but I think the Argos have such a, a passionate fan base. Mm-hmm. You know, it might be smaller. Uh, than they hope, but they're, they're people that you see, you know, obviously in Hamilton, we played them a lot and they're arch rivals and, sure. and you get to know the, the true fans there. And, and, you know, I, I had some friends that played for the Argos before I got into the business that I was going to Skydome at the time and, uh, watching their games and, and same thing, like they're, they're small and mighty and I think they're on the way. Right. Um, you know, I think. You know, the interesting part of your your Skydome question is now the sporting industry has changed. Like, it's now an event, yeah. not just a game. Right. Right? Like, you see it at our stadium. I think our, our company does a fantastic 100%. job of making it an event for young people. The reality is lots of people come to football games that don't want to watch for three hours straight in their seats. They want to mingle. It's their sure, time. Wander around, yeah. run into somebody from work or an old friend. Exactly. And I think you're seeing the Jays just did a huge renovation yeah. at Skydome. Well, that's what we're already doing here. That's what was already done in Hamilton with Tim Hortons Field. There's mm-hmm. so many social areas of the stadium that if Skydome was that 20, 25 years ago, yeah. It might have drew more and uh, and went from there, but you know, I think the biggest thing is you just gotta you gotta work the market, and, and they they work hard in that market. There's just a lot of competition in Toronto, night after night, from concerts to theater to restaurants yeah. to other sporting teams, and uh, uh, they have to work through that. So you end up down the highway with the Tiger Cats, and uh, you said that the allure was kind of running your own department. Uh, you know, kind of right out of the gate when you got there. Uh, tell us about y- your sort of evolution through that uh, that organization because you held a few different positions there. Yeah, you know, I think the biggest thing as a young guy in this industry, having someone believe in you is a huge thing. And uh, Scott Mitchell, CEO, part owner of the Ticats yeah. now, uh, clearly saw something in me at some point that was a strong belief. Uh, you know, we we had a connection that helped me get the interview for the community relations job, but we didn't know each other. Mm. Uh, And, uh, you know, I just put my head down, but I knew I had to learn the game of football. I I didn't know it like hockey, especially the CFL. And uh, I was fortunate enough that, you know, when you're working in community relations, a lot of your work comes 
towards the end of the day when players are available, they can go to events, sure. they can do this. And I put a lot of time and effort to make sure I was being seen every day at practice. So that connection to players, I wasn't just the only time they saw me was when I was texting them or <laughs> asking, asking them to, them show to up do something. something yeah, right? yeah, so, yeah. But by being at practice and seeing every day, I learned the game. And then I was fortunate to have – Two uh, two CFL Hall of Famers, legends, and people that aren't with us anymore, but near and dear to my heart, Ron Lancaster and Angelo Mosca, yeah. as uh, as community ambassadors for us. And Ange probably I learned more of the league media side of things, you know, branding. You know, his persona was bigger than life. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> you know, he, it was amazing. He was ahead of sports marketing by 20, 30 years. Uh, but Ron, I, I, I got to spend a lot of time with of learning the nuts and the bolts of, of football and how things operate. And I basically had an open office for a year and a half to watch film with them or dissect a game before or how would you do this or why does this happen that it allowed me to get a knowledge base and then uh got into the communications realm uh that's why i'm probably a little hard on hoffley at times i I have that background um hoffley when he was setting this up for us he texted he said that you'd take a couple shots at him i said well if he only takes a couple shots at you he'll be in second place (laughs) people taking shots at him no we just two different routes right he he was the writer that got into communications and team communications and I was uh, in the the sporting end, so, uh, but like Chris, he's always around the team, right? Yeah, I was always around the team, and the nature of this business is sometimes right place at the right time. And uh, Dennis Polian, son of Bill Polian, was on Hamilton staff. He was their director of football ops. He might have had the assistant GM title or whatever. Mm-hmm. Well, he went back down south, and Bob Obilovich was our our day to day general manager, obviously, right. and uh, Marcel Belfay was our head coach. And I, you know, I had a relationship with both of them and Scott realized they sort of needed a person that could put together the operation side of, okay. of you know planning training camps planning road trips budgets salary cap management all those sort of things and then when you get your foot in the door it's it's growth uh, through osmosis when you're around like-minded people that have a passion for something they're going to open up the doors to you when they trust and respect you and uh it quickly turned into me helping with scouting and uh uh me helping with whatever they needed and i just continued to grow and grow and you know what i would say is when regime changes happen sometimes it leaves some people to be replaced that don't necessarily have to be replaced um it's just about people bringing in their own people right and uh I was fortunate enough with Kent Austin coming in that obviously Scott put in a very good word for Drew Alamang and myself. That goes without saying. But Kent, he's being recruited to be the VP of football operations, a GM and head coach. He could have told Scott, I'm going to do this or I'm not going to come. And Kent was open-minded. And that's where I got my big break where Kent had those titles, but he wanted to be the head coach. And he let me do a lot of – GM duties. Uh, we had some other guys on staff, but they were sort of in charge of scouting or in charge of this. I got to do a lot of the day in and day out GM duties with obviously verifying everything with him and sure. going through that. So it really let me build myself up to being ready for a position. And then we obviously uh, had June Jones come in and we, we made a bit of a change and Kent sort of took a consulting role and then ended up 
coaching back in the NCAA. Well, when June came in, he, he certainly just wants to be a head coach. <laughs> and uh, Scott let Drew and myself sort of run with the personnel operations end of things. And Drew kept his focus mostly on the Canadian side. And uh, uh, we both together developed sort of what we wanted to do scouting system-wise. And uh, and I represented the team at a, a general manager level for a couple of years without the title or anything. So I got to grow in those boardrooms, get to learn how that operates operates and I think it really when I came in for the interview I'd already interviewed in Montreal previously and mm-hmm. and was was able to secure an offer for that job and it just didn't work out time and place at that point um, and uh, when I came to Ottawa and Edmonton I think I could go in the interview and there couldn't be anything from A to Z that I hadn't done. Right. And, 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 you know, that was obviously an advantage over other candidates. Some of them might have been director of scoutings or director of football ops or whatever, but I had the full gamut of... You'd basically been doing the job. Essentially been doing yeah. the job for five years without the title. And, you know, I'm sure they did their verification. No doubt. <laughs> there, there was no BSing going on. Everyone yeah. knew it. So. so when that happens... Why are you interested in leaving? Is it getting the actual title and the ability to kind of officially run things? If you're sort of already doing the job in Hamilton, what is the interest in leaving and and coming and taking the Ottawa job? Obviously a very tough decision. Mm -hmm. Um, I wasn't ready to leave the previous time. It had to be about the right situation. And there was a lot about Ottawa that reminded me of the Hamilton uh, situation uh, or team yep. um, from ownership, the stability of our ownership and the support of our ownership uh, was very similar in both places. Um, and I've got to know that was completely correct assumption. John and Roger and Oseg are unbelievable owners. Mm-hmm. Uh, they often don't say it, but they, they should be applauded um, for what they do and how they, they help me do my job. At the CEO level, Mark and Adrian as CEO and president, uh, just guys I click with. I knew Adrian a bit just from going around the block. I didn't know Mark. I'd never had a conversation with Mark until the day I was interviewed. Right. Um, but we just clicked right away. And I think it's just growth, right? Like you always look for personal growth. And uh, in Hamilton, uh, you know, I'd been there 15 years, a very safe opportunity for me. Mm-hmm. Scott Mitchell's one of my best friends in the world. Like we don't talk every day like we used to, sure. but, but 15 years of my life, I probably talked to him more than any other person in the world, right? <laughs> so, um, but I wanted to expand. It's personal growth. It's a new challenge. And I just thought this was the perfect opportunity for me. As you're going through that interview process, and and maybe this is an odd time to inject this into the conversation, but I am curious as someone in your position, how you feel about this. The Red Blacks are also starting this, this web show called Behind the R, and it's taking CFL fans and giving them more access than maybe we've ever had. And, um... You know, we've talked about that show quite a few times on the podcast because it's been incredibly entertaining and very well done. Is that intimidating to you coming in? Like uh, this process is already underway and I'm being interviewed, but like I'm being interviewed with cameras running. Like most people don't have that happening while they're interviewing for a job. Did that rattle you in that moment? (laughs) So Mark and Adrian were very coy. Uh, I thought the uh, the camera was running so they could reflect on the interviews. Okay. <laughs> uh, and sort of the information came downward after. Okay. You know, they definitely asked 
can we put some of this right. on a video announcing you? And then suddenly, after the contract was signed, uh, it turns into, oh, by the way, we're doing this. Yeah. Um, but in all honesty, it's something that's needed in our league. 100%. Um, having the media background, it didn't bother me. But if you look, like, there's some things we talk at, like, how long is uh, NFL films been going mm-hmm. on? You know, all, how long is all that stuff going on? The you frozen get, tundras yeah, yeah, of Flambeau Field. You have coaches <laughs> being interviewed on the bench of hockey games. Yeah. Like you have cam- the days of arguing about a camera in a locker room are ridiculous. Right. right? At the end of the day, the fans pay our bills and we- they want the product to be shown, both good and bad. And ultimately, we're going to be judged in high and low moments, right? And what I've always said publicly is, we're going to make mistakes here. I'm not mm-hmm. going to be perfect. We're going to have misses. If we can have more hits and misses, we're going to be better at our jobs, especially scouting-wise. But the reality is every guy that we think is going to be great up here isn't going to be great up here. Sure. We don't know what's going on in their life while they're up here. We don't know what could occur injury-wise. There's there's a million different things that go in it. You just try to get as much information beforehand to know you're making the best possible choice of who you're bringing in. And then you let the sort of cards fall where they fall. And uh, I think the big thing in this business is when you made a mistake – Moving on from the mistake and not holding on. Stop to doubling down yeah. on it, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we've had uh, Joshua Connor in here to talk about the show. He's uh, for those who weren't around for that. He's the guy who's created this uh, behind the R, and it's been fantastic. We asked Hoffley when he was in here um, for season two, I guess, what kind of a nightmare it might be for him as the PR guy, where he turns around. Oh, I wish there wasn't a camera in that moment, or what? As you're trying to do your job. You know, obviously it was sort of sprung on you during the interviews, but once you are here and it seems like you have sort of embraced this, but how often do you turn around and Josh is right there with a camera and you're kind of like, oh. Uh, He's very good at hiding them. They're, uh, you know, I didn't know until about game four that they were in the GM box hidden. So it's not like he's standing in front of you. No. Uh, There's the odd time like free agency and draft and. Uh, everything that he is, but you know what it comes down to is trust. You got to trust the people mm-hmm. that you work with, and my expertise isn't putting together behind the arc. Sure, that's Josh's. Is there some stuff that I've squashed at times? Absolutely. I yeah. think probably the the second phase of it after the year, uh, we had to be a little more careful, but we let a lot of raw stuff go too, and it's a delicate, <laughs> a delicate balance between the two, but. I have to trust my head coach to be a head coach. Yep. The head coach has to trust his coordinators to be the coordinators, and the coordinators have to trust the position coaches to be position coaches. And it goes that far for Chris to do his job as the director of communications and and uh, and Josh to do his job. So, you know, I know at the end of the day what Josh wants to do is highlight us in the best possible way 100%. Um, and uh, and make it a great product. So uh, extreme amount of trust. Bob has a ton of trust. I feel bad. I think everyone thinks Bob swears uh, a ton. <laughs> I'm definitely the more vulgar one. Uh, Bob, is, Bob is not nearly – you just get him in the emotional sure. moments. Sure. Where I'm probably the one that uses the the certain words that people love hearing <laughs> a little bit more uh, than him. Uh, and uh, you know, when I when I have a conversation down the road with my family about not swearing, they might throw that in my face, but uh, that's okay. Well, that's how you know. I, I know you're. Uh, 
you know, a man of all sports. I'm sure you saw the the very first road to the Winter Classic, right? Bruce Boudreaux just lighting up the locker room there on yeah. HBO and swearing all over the place. He said his mother just tore him apart right when she saw him on television. And yeah, you know, well, maybe wasn't my finest moment. <laughs> funny enough, the draft one last year. Brennan Taman's mother called him, and uh, she <laughs> she watched it f- uh, from Saskatchewan and gave him uh, shit for swearing. Yeah, much, yeah, so, I bet. Yeah. Um, last year, you had to make a difficult decision in, in letting go Paul Lapalise, and you know it, it had been a rough stretch. He came in at a difficult time. Uh, things got delayed with the pandemic, and 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 the team has sort of struggled since then. And I think that has sort of probably already been debated to death by CFL fans. But I'm curious why Bob Dice was the guy that you chose to replace him with. And and by all accounts, he's someone who's universally respected by the players. And that obviously uh, gives you a, a leg up. We hear all the time that, that this is the type of coach that players want to run through a wall for. But I know you, you would have considered other coaches. You would have considered alternatives. Uh, why was Bob Dice the guy to install? I think, uh, I don't think, I know when I made the decision, I said what we'd be looking for in a head coach, uh, there was three huge things. One, ability to lead. Uh, two, game management. And three, the staff they'd bring in. Right. And when I looked at those three things of what Bob was bringing to us, uh, I knew he was the right guy for the job. Um, you know, I knew... I got a sneak preview of some of it uh, during the year, mm-hmm. uh, even before the coaching change was made, but even more after right. of of who he was. But the funny thing is, is probably out of a good majority of the head coaching candidates, we interviewed seven or eight. He was probably the one I had the least amount of time or uh, <laughs> or uh, relationship with really? before last year. Yeah, you know, before last year, sure. we, you know we. I'm not a big on-the-field guy before the game. A lot of guys like to go out there and BS with their colleagues or yeah, whatever. Yeah. I'm like sort of in game mode, man. I want to – I'm like the players. I want to punch the guys in the <laughs> face, right? Like, I love them after, but we're competing that night, and yeah. I, I'm there to do a job. I can't really change anything either. Like everyone's like, oh, what do you do on game nights? I'm like, Watch. they're my slowest nights. Yeah, like, yeah. Between the time we set the rosters till after the game – I can't really I can't do, do much. much. I can't yeah. change it, right? Yeah. Like I'm not going to go in the booth and say you should be doing this, this, and this. So <laughs> it's my time uh, to sort of just uh, sit back and go from there. But I, I just don't do a ton of the field stuff. Trying to get a bit better, you know, there's obviously our owners are on the sidelines before the game, and they're not in the offices day-to-day. So I try to get down there and I try to see just what's going on with our players. But I still don't like talking to the opposition a ton, ton. Um <laughs> But we sort of hit it off when when uh, I first got here. I think he respected uh, how I tackle things head on. We're both probably wired the same way. You know, we have a love for players. I think all coaches do. Mm-hmm. But we're also not afraid to hit them with the truth too. And I think that's why we're respected so much is because they know we care about them, but they also know we won't sugarcoat it. And um, I think that's why guys go to the wall for Bob. I think it's why I have a great reputation league of being able to get guys to 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 come join teams is I'll just tell them the truth, even if it's contract negotiation. This is the best I can do. Yeah. I'm not here to try to save 2000 or 4000 This is what we can do. This is what we value at and make a decision. Uh, and agents respect that and players. But uh, then Bob... You know, you saw some in-game stuff when he was the head guy. 
uh, you saw it last week. You know what what it went unnoticeable in the game, but was a crucial play. Was uh, Keenan Brugling drew the the pass interference right. down at the four yard line, and we were running downfield, and we had the wrong we had the wrong group in for what we wanted to do, and, and, and Bob in the moment just called a timeout, and mm-hmm. some coaches wouldn't call, oh, I have to save a timeout for my challenge or the end of the game or whatever. What's more important than scoring seven points in a game? Right. Right? Like, you only get down there so many yep. times, and he made that call, right, and, yeah. uh, you know, it's a preseason game, and it's the right thing to do, so it's not going to get highlighted, but that's what you're looking for. And if you looked at our team last week, we call it situational football. When you're on the goal line of your own goal line, getting a couple first downs, sure, you're going to punt maybe, but you get off your goal line, that yeah. you don't have a short field. We did that well. When they scored, we responded well. Those type of things are what I'm talking about, where a head coach makes a difference by having a plan, scoring a field goal before halftime. Um, and then the third thing was the staff. And, you know, we started talking about the staff and, uh, and you know, nothing secure until you have the head coach. And then you have to secure the coordinators. Yeah. Uh, but I thought he did a great job of the staff. Uh, they have us well prepared. Uh, the players buy into what they're doing, and it was just an excellent process. You know, the last thing is what impressed me about Bob, he was our interim coach. He's been here for a while. Yeah. And he respected that I want to go through the full process of interviewing guys. I wanted to treat him the same as everyone else from he wasn't skipping to the second round of interviews. He wasn't not coming in for the last round because we yeah, didn't, didn't come across as entitled yeah, or. No, yeah. he, w- he went through every process. He didn't get bothered by it. You know, real, real fact is the last part of the interviews is sort of so the candidates are comfortable with where they're going to work. Sure. Seeing the facility, seeing the city, seeing how we operate. Uh, you know, I wouldn't want to take a job without knowing where I'm working. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we treated him the exact same, even though he knew it. And uh, it didn't phase him. He didn't say, you know, what the hell? He just said, this is this is your process. I respect that. And and went on from there. So this was Dice's first training camp and in the head, you know, with the, that gig, that top gig as the, as the head coach. How would you characterize, you know, any differences that you saw, any things that maybe he brought different than not just Lapo, but other coaches you've seen over the years? Like what, what does a Bob Dice training camp look like in comparison to some other head coaches maybe you've seen? A lot of training camps are the same, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, you get your evaluation part where the guys are doing one-on-ones and you start installing your team stuff and, and going from there. But what Bob's always going to bring is an intensity. And his intensity wears off on everyone else. So I thought we had a very competitive camp. Uh, there was no lulls in camp. It, it was a competition every day. And Bob wants you to bring it every day. And when you don't bring it, he'll show you that it wasn't broad and said these aren't the expectations. So when he talked about building a foundation and creating a standard, he showed that foundation and what the standard is. And it's obviously always up to the players to decide if they're going to adhere to the standard or not. It's always the player's decision. It's Mm -hmm. never coaches give a blueprint for how we want to do things, but the players ultimately choose if we want to do them that way or not. You guys suffered a couple of tough injuries through training camp. Are you able to give us any kind of update on on where – some of that stands and, and, you know, what we might be looking at here this season? Yeah, I, I, you know, I can comment on what publicly is being acknowledged yeah. for sure. So uh, Money Hunter had a, a torn pack uh, uh, happen in our, our mock game and uh, 
chance he could get back this year. It all depends on rehab and and, and all that. It's uh, you know that's his goal. His goal is to be back ahead of what the plan is, and, sure. and that's the competitor in him. Uh, Shaq Evans. Uh, First preseason game, the first ball he caught, uh, broke his finger. He finished the game, but it's weird. You think, oh, broken finger, just tape it up. But you, you can't do nah. that. It could cause some issues for life. So um, he was having an outstanding camp, one of our most consistent receivers day in and day out. Uh, just uh, a really joy to work with. So he'll get back uh, soon enough. Uh and then uh, James Peter was a guy, same thing, finger thing. He might get back a bit sooner because he can club it as a defensive player. Right. <laughs> not really relying on him to catch the passes. Sure. But as a local guy, uh, second-round pick, he was a, becoming a difference maker on special teams. That first preseason game, he definitely stood out. So, um, you know, I think we have a few more here and there, but most of them are of the short-term variety. Um, you know, you just try to get throughout a camp as healthy as possible. That's the reality of things. <laughs> it's a necessary evil. Sure. I don't know how to ask this. I was going to say, are you surprised? But you've been kept in the loop, obviously, more than any of the rest of us through the whole process. That Jeremiah Masoli not ready to go for week one. I think a lot of us sort of thought that, you know, it was a pretty devastating injury on a horrible cheap shot hit that he took last year. And it was, you know, awful that. You know, there's your starting quarterback for the year lost. And you, I think as fans, you just sort of assume, well, we'll see him for week one next year. Uh, obviously, he's been through some things and, and this has been tough. Um, are you surprised, disappointed? Like, how would you characterize that this is still a question mark as we head towards week one? Not any of it because okay. I, I've had the front seat to it. Yeah. So, you know, I think when Jeremiah is ready, he'll probably – tell the complete story of what's gone on. But, you know, guys have heard glimpses of, uh, you know, he did have a couple infections. Yeah. So those set you back a good chunk of time 100%. each time, you know, literally in a hospital bed for 13 days where, you know, losing weight, can't do anything, can't start rehab, any, any of that stuff. And there, there's been a few other things. So, you know, to me, it's about who Jeremiah is as the person and who he, what he means to the organization. There's no timeline for me for that. Uh, you know, our guys, if you went down there as a whole to every guy on your team, and it's even new guys, they know right off the bat, like, Jeremiah's held in such, such regard. Right. Um, he's had a training camp where he has, he has got him back. He's played a lot of reps. Uh, we're going to make a decision soon here on, on, on week one uh, and go from there. But for Bob and myself, it was always just part of the plan. We want Jeremiah to play when – He's physically ready to play. He's mentally ready to play, and he can be our quarterback for a large chunk of the year. If that means week one, great. If it means week two, great. If it's week three, great. If it's week six, great. Yeah. You know, it's one of the reasons why we made it a priority to make sure uh, Nick was our, our backup quarterback mm -hmm. to have that cover. We think we can win football games with Nick um, and uh, take it from there. You guys have had a pretty competitive camp with quarterbacks kicking around, right? Some some guys like really making a name for themselves and uh, or you know standing out that maybe we wouldn't have expected. It's it's been it's been quite competitive down there at that position. Yeah, um, you know, our hope, I'll start with Nick first. Yeah. Like, I obviously talked about Jeremiah's journey and from week one of camp of, of just doing some scally and very little to doing a lot of team reps last week and the week before. So we sort of know where he's at. But Nick, I think having a full off season with a team, not switching teams during yeah. the year, being settled, 
not having to move again, all that. He just seems very settled. And uh, uh, he, he had a great training camp, fantastic training camp. Uh, so to see that was very encouraging. And then, you know, Tyree and Dustin, they're young quarterbacks. You're going to see some ups and downs through training camp. Mm-hmm. That's part of being a young quarterback. You know, defense is throwing in different stuff every day. And uh, some days you're going to look better than others. And what you want to see is progression on game day or progression in the classroom or who they are if they've uh, gotten better or worse. And we saw on game days, obviously, Tyree, uh, two great games. Yeah. Um, definitely taking a step up that way. He'll only learn more and more from Jeremiah and Nick of how to be a quarterback off the field as well. Um, and then Dustin, you know, he brings an intensity, man. He's, he's one of the most intense guys <laughs> on our team. Uh, we had a team bowling event, and the guy had to scowl on at the bowling event, <laughs> like wanting to win. And uh, But he didn't get a chance in the first game. In the second game, we sort of saw, you see Dustin, and you're like, you don't think he's going to be the athlete he is. And then suddenly you saw him take off on that one play for 38 yeah. yards, and he's a quick decision maker. So we feel very good. And, you know, we had a release Dunaway, who I thought did a great job at the end of the game too, mm-hmm. uh, for a guy that was in camp for seven days and – it wasn't too big for him, and he moved the ball and finished the game for us. Like he helped us run out the clock to finish the game. So yeah. uh, we feel good, but you got to continue to see it. In this industry, you got to bring it every day, and uh, uh, all those guys know that. And uh, we're excited to see how that room develops together. It's nothing like trying to look mean and angry and competitive while you're standing there in bowling shoes. <laughs> <laughs> Five pins, so all the, the Americans were caught off guard. I'm sure. Uh, you also recently extended Jalen Acklin, who Red Blacks fans have sort of fallen in love with here over the last little while. And I, I just wonder if you can kind of take us inside why this was the right time to get that done and, and make sure that he was locked up a little bit longer here. Elite player, yeah. no brainer. Um, producing got better every year of his career. Guy I have an extreme amount of faith in. Obviously, he has some faith in me, followed me. Yeah. Um, but. You know, you look at 1,170 yards in 13 games it's not last bad, year. Eh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So when you have playmakers, you try to keep them. Um, you know, I also felt that we, we, we spent some time getting a bunch of guys under two-year contracts. It's for a reason. And uh, he's one of that core of guys that we want, we wanted to be under that umbrella. And why wait if you don't have to? And right. we presented a scenario that wouldn't hurt us this much this year to do it. Uh, same as Jacob Ruby. Yeah. So right now on our offensive line, you know, we have Dino Boyd under contract for two years, Drew Desjardins two years, Cyril Hogan Sedan two years, uh, Jacob Ruby two years, Zach Pelios two years, Dante Bull three years. Like you're talking about some consistency together. And, uh, you know, we wanted to have that number one receiver with those guys and show that commitment. Uh, to them, uh, Jeremiah is under contract for two years as well, and there's a, there's many on defense as well. So, um, you know, I wanted to sh- show a belief in, in in guys on this team. Obviously, there's turnover year after year, but when your head coach, who's a new head coach, is saying certain things, and you saw them, and you have no tie into some of these guys before you got here, it's easy for me after one year to say, okay, thanks for your services. And uh, and move on, but you don't want to do that with guys that will help you win, right? Change sure. for the sake of change doesn't mean it's good change. And nope. you know, I know things have to change around here. Mm-hmm. Bob and myself know that. We want to be a successful football team for our fan base, for our ownership group, and just as much for ourselves. Yeah. But 
if you believe in some of the guys are here, why would you change it? You mentioned Dante Bull, who looks like, you know, the CFL likes to hang its hat on Friday night football being their thing. He appears to be someone who could miss time being over on Friday night SmackDown as you've drafted just a monster of a man. Tell us a little bit how his recovery is coming and and what your expectations of him would be kind of through this season, a rookie season for him. It's going great. You know, when we uh, were drafting him, we we obviously had to wait through the weekend of the NFL draft to see what was going on with certain guys, and we accelerated things on a Saturday night, reached out to his agent and him and said, hey, we want you to fly in here Sunday. Yeah, We'd already been talking to his Fresno program about where he was at medically, but we're not going to draft a guy number one without our own doctor seeing him sure. and putting their hands on him and, and speaking to him eye to eye and getting to know him. So uh, it was an accelerated process from Sunday night till Tuesday to make sure we felt comfortable. And, you know, there was no promises given. If we didn't, he was going to get on a flight home before the draft and right. and we would have drafted who we drafted. Uh, but, you know, he checked some certain boxes. We thought there was a certain timeline. I would say right now he's probably ahead of it. He was doing some team reps last week. It was okay. a little unexpected. Uh, he has a goal in mind of when he'd be ready, and it's uh, it's in the short-term future, I would say. But if he's not, we went into the expectations of this guy's a big enough difference maker yeah. that we're willing to wait to time till he's ready. Uh, I'm curious, you know, your job obviously is, is to build a team that's going to win football games. I, I'm not breaking any news in that. But I wonder how you balance that, or if you do at all, with the idea of having to win games at home. And I'm sure that's a narrative that you're probably tired of hearing about. It's something that we talk about a lot here. And and I mentioned early on that, you know, growing up in the GTA, I was an Argos fan and I moved up here around 2012 and the, the Red Blacks were getting up and going in 2014. And while I could never see myself losing my Leafs fandom in favor of being a Sens fan, I thought the idea of jumping on board the Red Blacks bandwagon while they were building this from scratch was kind of fun, right? This expansion team, let's see how it goes. And and they had success, I think, earlier than most people would have predicted. And you've mentioned earlier on what a great job your game day staff do and the, and the idea of turning TD Place into this destination that, yeah, if you're a hardcore football fan who does want to sit down for three hours and watch Every snap, that's awesome. You have the opportunity to do it in a really cool place. If you're someone who wants to kind of wander around and have a pint over here and run into somebody over there and then go back to your seat, you can do that too. We give a lot of credit and still to this day, while Red Blacks fans are frustrated with the results, almost universally, they're still sort of like, it's still fun to go down there. But at some point, they're going to demand wins. And I, I just wonder how you balance and maybe you don't have to think about it. It's just if we get wins, obviously some of them will be at home. Or how much does the idea of winning at home, getting that story to go away, that narrative to go away is a thing as you move into this season? How much are home wins on your mind? You rambled with that question because you didn't want to ask it, I think. I, I, there was a little <laughs> yeah, bit of yeah, that. Like, uh, what angle do I want to take yeah, with no, this? No, no, no. Uh, you know, what I would say first and foremost is, uh, of course, of course, I'm aware of it. You know, it's it's brought up and uh, and everything, and and nothing's more important to me, and I don't take lightly. You have certain stakeholders in this organization. One, our owners, mm-hmm. and our owners are in this for a reason. They they want to be great community builders first and foremost. They always start with that. 
but they want to have success, right? And success doesn't mean just on the field, off the field, everything. Yeah. Secondly, I've been on the other side of the office. I know what it's like to work on the business side of things, and it's a lot easier to do your job when sure. the team's winning than losing. And more importantly, I know all those people could probably have higher paying jobs doing something else, but they love what they do. And I, I respect the hell of them for do it, doing it. And Bob and myself know we carry the flag for them as well. Right. And then obviously the fans. And at the end of the day, this is a gate-driven league. Mm -hmm. uh, our sponsorship money, you know, TV deal and sponsorship has increased since I've begun in the league. But it's still a gate-driven league. Without the fans, our league doesn't exist. Uh, you saw that in the pandemic. We couldn't have gone through another season with no fans right. and, and whatnot. And the fans deserve a winning product. So in that side, it's not lost on me. But You can't when build a team that wins but, home games versus road games. Yeah, it's just build the best And team. when you're – when you're in football, each week is a different battle. Right. You know, I have a rule, 24 hours, win or loss, you have 24 hours to either celebrate or get over it. Uh, I think now it's turned into 12 hours for me, <laughs> but uh, that's okay. But when you're talking about last year's record, last year's record in my head stopped at last year. Right. And when you look at our roster, speaking about it today with people, the reality is, is we probably have half a new roster on our game day roster for this coming week. We have half a new coaching staff. Those people had nothing to do with it. Some of them have won great cups elsewhere. Some of them were rookies that were in college, whatever. So you have to be careful of mentioning it too much to them because mm -hmm. they had nothing to do with it. Sure. Some of us did. You know, I have my part in one year of the home record. But I would say the reality is we know we have to win home games. To win your division – to win the right to host home playoff games, yeah. to have an easier road to the Grey Cup, you have to win home games. And the reality is we are a team that went four and five on the road. Most bad teams don't win four road games. Right. We lost however many games, you know, like I said, I watched the season after the season, but lost a lot of games by one score or less. Uh, you know, I think we saw progress in the excitement of our home product last year with a majority of the time. There's a couple games where we re really struggle, but a majority of the games, those were exciting football games that we were in, into the end. But that doesn't matter. We have to change the narrative here and play good football at home. That's where it starts. You have to win home games to win divisions, to have the best chance to go to great cups. And that's what our goal is each and every year. So you have, uh, you've put together, as you've said, a, a roster with a lot of new names on it, some guys that, uh, that maybe Red Blacks fans aren't going to be as familiar with. Give us one or two names that through training camp as we head towards uh, week one here in game one that maybe fans aren't talking that much about that you think have made a bigger impact in camp that you know we're going to notice right away. Give us a name or two that, that you think fans are going to become very quickly attached to this year that we don't already know a lot about. Uh, offensively, uh, he, he played at the end of last year for us and had some great stats, but Justin Hardy. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Had a great training camp, just a consummate pro. Uh, think he's going to have a really good year as a receiver. Um, Drew Desjardins. Yeah. Without a doubt. Uh, brought him here for a reason. Type of player he is and, uh, and, and everything. So those are two on offense. Defensively, um, our global pick, uh, Tyella. 
I'm saying it right. <laughs> he's going to be on our game day roster, and he's going to get significant snaps. He's a good football player. Right. Uh, you know, in a rotation, he's not going to play sixty of the sixty plays. Uh, I think Bryce Carter could take a jump as a uh, defensive end. Obviously, comes uh, because of uh, of uh, Praise Martin and Okuke getting injured and uh, not being able to pass the medical. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Bryce could uh, take a jump here, um, and just uh, excited to see units as a whole. I think you saw it with our defensive line, like the collective group of the unit right. made it strong. And you know, uh, he's injured right now. I, I don't think he'll go this week or the second week. But Joe Von Santos Knox uh, have a lot of belief and faith in him, both on and off the field, and uh, just want him to to get healthy to be able to help us uh, when he's available to play. Yeah. It's an interesting looking roster. There has been some turnover. I think the offensive line obviously has been reinforced. Um, you know, when you have a, a starting quarterback coming off an injury, uh, that's going to be crucial, right? His trust in those guys. Um, I, I guess maybe the one last thing I would ask you about before uh, before we let you go is we saw some things. I, I kicked off the show mentioning Pride Week. We saw some things. Uh, I'm not sure how much time you have during training camp to be following other sports. Are you a Blue Jays guy at all? Uh, you know, yeah, yeah. not. I don't follow. Fair it, enough. But, fair enough. But I, you know, I know what goes on in the world. So. Right. So yeah. you saw the Anthony Bass story yeah. last year, no doubt. And one of the interesting things that comes out is, I think one of the things that frustrated Blue Jays fans was this guy is already bad at his job. Right. He hasn't been a very good reliever this year, and now he's making the organization look bad. Um, and then bringing negative attention to their sponsors and things like that. I wonder in your, in your position with the Red Blacks, how you might sit down and if you could just hypothetically take us inside a situation like that and how that situation is different if instead of it being Anthony Bass, a fairly disposable reliever that they didn't let go but could have, and if it happened to have been Bo Bichette or Vladimir Guerrero Jr., one of your superstars who is, you know what I'm saying? Like that, that internal debate between uh, a, two guys who have said the exact same thing that have offended an awful lot of people. One's fairly disposable. One is a superstar that your organization is obviously not going to let go of. Could, are you able to take us inside a war room at that point? What a management team might be discussing in terms of, you know, the reputation of our organization, the way we want our fans to feel welcome at our games and our ability to win ball games at the time. Yeah. Uh, you know, first I would start with uh, everyone in this league knows Orlando Steinhauer and myself are very close. We worked together for nine years and I, I've learned a ton from him and hopefully he's learned, learned a little from me. But uh, <laughs> one of the things I did learn is the key of communication in any relationship and that includes a uh, a GM coach relationship, GM player relationship, organization player relationship, whatever. So it starts with the organization. Right. And, you know, what we do on day one of training camp is have a team meeting and, and sort of talk about who we are. It's not rules. You can't have rules. Right. Like if you need rules, you have the wrong guys. Yeah. Right. So it's who we are. And, you know, it's fitting that our saying this year is all in. Yeah, uh, because uh, you know Bob's always said that uh, for as long as I, I remember, and he actually told the story of how it started at training camp. But 
that's one of the models of our organization is we're an all-in organization. We, we have a diversity committee that Bob's actually on. Mm. Um, and we're, we definitely let the players know that we're going to be active in causes in the community. And they know that going in. And when you have the leadership you do of the players uh, that have been a part of things and know who you are, they set the standard for the rest of the players coming in. Right. And you're always going to have situations. The reality is everyone thinks a GM's job or a head coach's job is to either write up the plays or approve the plays or sign the players. And we're managing people every day. Yeah. That's what we're doing. Yeah. Like 75% of our job, we don't know what's going to happen each week because <laughs> you're working with a hundred different people yeah. with coaches and staff. Just think of any hundred people in the world. Someone's always got something going on. Sure. Uh, either in their head, themselves, their family. Family situation. Whatever, yeah, yeah. right? So our job is to manage those people and make them feel that they're supported and can still produce on the field. And we have situations throughout ca- training camp with that. S- situations already this week, right? So communication is the key to it. So for me, it would be my hope is we've had strong enough leadership from myself, from Bob, that if someone felt a certain way – we would come in and have a productive conversation that I'm not caught off guard by it. Right. And we can talk about it collectively together. And, you know, I think I learned a lot in COVID. Of <laughs> Didn't there, we all? <laughs> yeah. You know, there's certain things that people are going to stand for and not stand for, right? And at the end of the day, if it's a non-negotiable for them, you're not going to change their mind. All right. You can try to give them different perspective and you have to react and say your perspective and how it it's it, it makes you have to work on things and, and deal with things and the impact it can have on not only myself, the entire organization, mm-hmm. and see if you can get to a common place, right? That's what you want to do at the end of the day. So, um, you know, no, no organization is going to be perfect. We make mistakes every day. Um, yeah, I try, and, and I try a lot to, of opinions, right? Yeah. To, and it's it's not so much that Anthony Bass is a different opinion, yeah. right? It's that, oof, that was a hell of a way to voice it, right? Like that was, yeah. yeah. So you know that that's all you can hope for. Yeah. But at the end of the day, surprises are going to happen. Um, uh, but I know what our values are as an organization. I know what's important to our organization, and we try to relay that to to our players. And I think our players hold themselves to that standard. You know, we have a lot of great guys in this league that are supportive of many causes. Um, you know, I know uh, Nate was uh, heavily involved in the discussion at the start of uh, uh, Pride Month last week. Yeah. Uh, uh, and when when you have leadership like that, the the guys see it. And uh, he's been uh, in here before. Well, love that guy. Yeah, yeah. So you know, it's when you have that communication that starts to allow conversations to happen freely and and make decisions together and uh, come out collectively as a win win for for all parties. Uh, I I know I speak on behalf of all Red Blacks fans. We're ready to get going, right? Like, I, I don't know what it's like for you at camp. I know you're busy. I know you're making decisions. I know whatever, but I, I got to imagine you're chomping at the bit like everybody else to get the, the real games underway at this point, right? Like, yeah, like yeah. I said earlier, necessary evil sometimes. Yeah. The coaches obviously know it's very important for implementation and building the team, but, uh, you know, at some point you're sitting back there, oh, we just want to get through yeah, training camp yeah. to play games that matter and get through it healthy, right? That's 100%. half the battle. So, Excited to see our team have a lot of faith in Bob as the leader of our team. Um, I think we have a core group of guys that 
want to play the brand of football that we want to play. And I truly believe when you play that brand of football, you give yourself a better chance to win games. We're looking forward to it. I can't tell you how much I appreciate you making some time. I know it's a busy week for you. I know you got a lot going on ahead of, uh, ahead of your week one matchup here. Thank you so much for coming in. Thanks so much. That is General Manager Sean Burke of the Ottawa Red Blacks. We'll wind down this episode of the Talk and Audio Podcast here. My name's Matt Robinson. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you all next time. What was that? Number one bullshit. Oh, number one bullshit. Why are you so pissy?